Ready graphics? Ready theme? Was this magnificent looking girl, drop dead gorgeous girl, black hair pulled back straight down to her her back, beautiful, huge blue eyes, full voluptuous lips. She, in Elaine said, Elaine Rich, she's, uh, hi, I'm a manager. This is my client, Fran Drescher. Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. And today is an interview episode. It is a very special interview episode. Yes, we're very, very excited. It's our first actor. Yes. Yes. That's right. I hadn't even thought about that. Right. I'm very excited. I'm very excited too. Jesse, tell them who we have on. We have renowned character actress, Marianne muller Lily. She is definitely the type of actress that has been in so much that you know her face, but you may not know her name. I I was thinking that she should definitely have been in that documentary, that gal who was in that thing. It's so true. Like You really go and Google her. We'll have a link to her website and everything in the show notes. She's that person that she has so many credits because she's been going for 46 years. There was so much we didn't get a chance to talk about. Mm -hmm. She was in Soap Dish and Terminator. And I found out that she is a close family friend to one of my best friends in New York City. She's everywhere. She's everything. And she is... We were originally going to do a, a shorter episode yeah. with her. And we just couldn't stop talking to her because she was had so many great stories. And she has such a wealth of knowledge about the industry yes. and about her career. And as actresses, obviously, we're very yeah. But I think that e- even if you're not in acting, you're going to really love this interview. Mm-hmm. She goes through all the different television shows she's been on. So it's history of TV as well as her time on Murphy Brown. She has some great things to say. Yes. I'm excited to listen to it again. I feel like she drops so many little pearls of wisdom that I just want to apply to my life. I'm probably going to make a meme out of one of the things she says about her career. Um, so please listen, enjoy. Um, when you're done, follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Murphy Brown Pod. You can also find us on our website at www www.murphybrownpod.com And if you want to email us your experiences with Murphy Brown, what Murphy Brown meant to you, you can email us at murphybrownpod at gmail.com or you can record yourself on your phone and email us a little soundbite that we can include on the show. Mm-hmm. Please enjoy and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Mystery guest, will you please sign in? Uh, my name is Marianne muller Lily. Uh, this is the my 46th year as a professional actor. And I happily appeared as Secretary 8 on Murphy Brown. Well, congratulations on a career of longevity that's still going. Yes, it is. (laughs) As a Minnesotan, I got very excited to see the University of Minnesota plug. My mom was a professor for one of the branches of the U of M for 47 years. Oh, Mm -hmm. way up north. Good for her. Up north. And I just saw you in a commercial watching Hulu the other day. Yes, I actually, uh, I have eight... uh, you mean my McDonald's, one of the mm-hmm. McDonald's. Yeah, there are eight spots out, and a ninth one is coming out March 13th for March Madness. Oh, that's great. Congrats on your residuals. Yes, yes, yes. So we always like to start off first, because obviously we're both actors. What's your origin story, and what brought you into acting? Uh, well, I uh, was not planning on being an actor. I thought it was way too impractical, and it is. Uh Yeah, uh, but so I went to uh, an undergraduate school, a Catholic university in St. Louis, and got a degree in drama and um, education, certified to teach in high school and college. And, uh, but afterwards I thought, well, there's still so much I need to learn. I didn't know puppetry, I didn't know fencing, I didn't know opera, and dialects, you know, many uh, 
areas of drama that wasn't provided it wouldn't be provided in a non-conservatory program. So I decided to go to University of Minnesota. And uh, my next challenge was to pick, well, do I want a master's in art, which would normally follow for a drama teacher. But when I looked at the curriculum and saw so much of it were lecture classes, I thought, oh, no, no, I can't do that. I'm going to get a master's in fine arts and acting because that's more fun. I said, I'll pick up everything I need to teach the kids. So that was always the plan. And then I did a, um, uh, I played Eunice in Streetcar Named Desire at, at a U of M production. And the professor, uh, Dr. Charles Nolte, had been a, a, as a young man, a Broadway star. And he knew Tennessee Williams. So he invited him to come to see our university production. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. <laughs> So, and so while we were, um, while he was in the Twin Cities, they, the, the newspapers all wanted interviews and he gave them and he, he named the, he mentioned the three young actresses and he mentioned our names and said that we were the future of the American theater. So (laughs) I thought, whoa, (laughs) anyway, then, well then, no, it didn't make me think I should be an actor, but I, I was impressed you know, and uh, then all these regional theater directors came to see the show and we all three got offered contracts. Now, I turned it down the first year. I, I said, well, I'm at the, it, it was uh, Terrence Kilburn at Meadowbrook Theater. I said, well, I'm at the end of my first year of a two and a half year program. So could you ask me again in another year and I will try to accelerate my program to finish? And he said, absolutely. And so in that year, I, I, totally switched my focus and learned about the union and health and pension and minimum wage and all the rules that govern actors and et cetera. That's how I became an actor. That's such an intelligent approach. I often go on rants about how I think more, especially liberal arts degrees as performers, we need to have a minor in business because so many people are not prepared for the business side. When we leave, we learn all of the crafts and all of the dialects. We learn combat, like all of the things I have yet to use. And then once you get out into the world and suddenly you're up against contracts and not knowing when you can sign things and when you don't have to and what the unions are. And that was a brilliant move. Actually, uh, well, I realize that it, it's it's because it, I have left brain and right brain, and it's about 50-50 in, in my being evaluated over this, and that's been true my whole life. Uh, and I did, once I got to the, the theater in Michigan, I taught a course on how to survive show business, and it was all the things you're talking wow, about. Wow, we need more of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did that. I did that for a few years. Now they've nowadays there's a bit more about it, but not nearly as there needs to be. Well, and it's changing every year. What you need to it know is. and who you get in front of and how you get in front of them. It's yeah, it's very interesting. What's been the uh, the biggest change that you've seen over your time? Oh in, my gosh! Oh I mean, my gosh! <laughs> there's so many change, but of course the biggest has to be uh, technology. Uh, one of the things I find just horrifying is that the young people and then all the rest of us who are in the industry, but the young people must, those who are just breaking in, they must have full media savvy and have 
Instagram and Twitter and Reddit and Snapchat and Facebook and their own website and all that. Um, and so I do it myself. I loathe doing it. It is, it, oh, it just sucks the life out of me, the time that it takes. Um, but uh, I know that if it does come down to two of us, myself and another, and and we both be wonderful to part, they will generally go with the person who has the most followers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do it because as long as I am say I'm in the game, I need to be fully in the game. And my agents are thrilled. I'm one of their older people that do any of it. I get why it, it's, oh, I don't know that that's going to change. I heard somebody say the other day, I did a career day at a, a high school, and I heard one of the actors say, it's passing phase. I thought, well, maybe you're in your 30s, but I'm 69. It, it's going to be with me till the grave, at least. So for me, that's the biggest change. I think it will definitely change in execution and maybe the platforms yeah, but the, the the concept of being visually accessible and knowing that you have a market coming in behind someone a demographic yeah. that's already guaranteed I, I remember being taught about the star meter on imdb oh, yeah. and how important yeah. that was and now i took a, a similar course uh recently just to refresh everything because everything's changing and I can't keep up with it. And they're saying that like, that's pretty much an archaic measure now because it, totally. that was about what you're being printed in. Now it's all about how many followers you have. Totally. And I, I just recently became active on Instagram because mm-hmm. I would go to auditions and they mostly was for commercials at the beginning. You no, know, I want to yes. know how many mm-hmm. uh, followers I have. And I just, I hated it so much. So I thought if I wasn't on Instagram, then they couldn't measure me because I didn't have anybody. <laughs> it was a choice. But now I, I just, I realized I, it was something I had to do. So now, now I I'm active. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I finally did it. Oh, I'm best know. at the Instagram. I'm best at Instagram. She is, yes. Yeah. And she I am too. I loathe. I actually loathe Twitter because it's all about personal opinion right now. I don't care about it. I just topical stuff, transitory stuff, I don't care about. So I put very little on Twitter. I call it a hellscape. It is. It is a hellscape. Yes, yet I'm most active on Twitter. I mean, I I enjoy Twitter because I have a lot of random one-liners that I just yes. need to get out. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, We're also writers. And yes. so I think that it is, <laughs> yes. I like it because it is more sort of, you know, one-liner based. I would say that on Twitter, I don't have a large political presence. I, I retweet things, uh, but I, I save sort of my own political views for other platforms. I have a, lar- I have a lot of large and strong and um, articulate opinions, but I don't find Twitter to be the best platform platform for me to get them out in a constructive no. way. So I'm mostly me being excited about Black Panther coming out and yeah. really sassy one-liners on my on my commute. And Instagram, I'm from a family of photo people, so I just... Perfect. I love sharing yeah. photos, man. I do too. So mm-hmm. that was... I really should have been on it before, but it was... I was... I was a little reluctant. <laughs> um, one thing that I, I think for us and our listeners is very impressive about your resume is how much television you've done. Yes. Sort of piggybacking on, on Jesse's question, in television, um, maybe even particularly in sitcom, what do you see the changes? Well, the, the, uh, the biggest change, which now they're coming back to, um, at least it used to be a three-camera platform where you did about 22 minutes. It was a little play, a little – and uh, – it really felt like being on stage um, because they had live audiences. Uh, then for many years, they went to film. And, oh, 
it's it just takes so much longer and for me sucks the spontaneity out of it um i still enjoy watching sitcoms that are done on film but as an actor doing them i prefer the three camera and now uh, many of them are going back to that and i'm very grateful for that yes so am i i mean it's the closest to live theater yeah, they can that's get and, and doing comedy. I mean, I'm in a, I have a theater company that is primarily comedically based, and it's, you know, a good show by your audience. Mm-hmm. You know Absolutely. your moments. You know what's working by the swell yeah. in the room, and that just makes sense for comedy to have an audience whenever possible. Yeah, certain things that work on, you know, in the rehearsal might not necessarily work in front of a live audience. SNL is a great example of that. Yes, because they yeah. do. Yeah, they they cut things that just were great and then bomb in front of the audience. so you started in coming out of the university of minnesota what which coast did you end up going to first well since i thought i was only going to be doing stage i mean i didn't think beyond that although my uh the director terence kilburn at uh, meadowbrook who hired me and i did six seasons there uh he always told me uh, that i will hit my stride in my 40s and that i should go to the west coast and uh, I said, well, why do I need to do? Th-? He said, because you're going to get the job in the interview. And I didn't understand that, but uh, I did eventually, of course, when I came. So as, after three years uh, in Meadowbrook, I moved to New York and continued to do Meadowbrook and then other regional theaters. And uh, and then I, I felt that I'd done Meadowbrook and, and uh, it had been fantastic. I ended up doing 25 shows and uh, musicals and stuff. And so I thought, well, can I make it in New York? I, I have to not accept any work outside of New York to see if I can make it here. And by making it, I was really telling myself, make a living. Because I, I, I had no desire ever to be famous I wanted. I set three goals in that year at Meta, in the uh, U of M where I was deciding, okay, I'm going to be an actor, not a teacher. I set three goals for my career, which was longevity, constancy, and variety. Ooh, that's wonderful. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I love that's that. what it's been. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what it's oh, been. Oh, yes. No, just looking at your IMDb, it's very mm-hmm. obvious that even in TV and film, that is definitely mm-hmm. what you've done. Yeah. So I I went to New York. I I made the decision not to accept work outside of New York. And the answer to can I make it? The answer was no. I could not make enough money. And I realized that I could not compete uh, with the the kids that had gone to conservatories. Hmm. I didn't even know conservatories existed. I didn't know Juilliard was a place, you know, to dedicate your life to only learning performing arts or whatever your field is. I didn't know about Yale rap and all that. A teacher, a drama teacher didn't need to know about those schools. So, but once I got into that, the New York scene, it's chock-a-block with triple threat talent. And I couldn't, I can sing. I have sung. I do sing, but I can't sing like a kid who spent four years at Juilliard. You know, and so uh, the interesting thing happened, though, in that year, <clears throat> I was finding this out, was um, I had picked up a throwaway newspaper and it said uh, looking for women size 14 to 16 to become uh, a clients at large 
size modeling agency. And this was in the 70s. And I thought, well, I'm not a model. So I threw it away. And the second month I saw it and I thought, yeah, I'm not a model. Third month I saw it and said, well, not a model, but I can act like one. Yes. So I went to this woman's house in Central Park West and was interviewed. And I became the first person she hired for her modeling agency. So that year I did do runway print and fit modeling. And I made some money, not enough to live on. So it was the same year, although I had a great year in New York, I faced the reality, I can't make enough money to ever buy a car, let alone a house. I said, I've got to go to LA. So I came here in 1981 at the age of 33, I'd save $6,000. The idea was that it would be $1,000 a month is what I needed. And that was a reasonable amount uh, to live on. And if I couldn't make it here, I'd just go back to New York. But I hit. I hit right away. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of a long story, so I won't tell you. But I, I got my first audition. I got my second audition. And then I settled into not getting them. Like mm-hmm. everybody else, you yep. know, doing a bunch. Uh, but very quickly, I I realized, oh yeah, this is this is it. I did have to learn, though. It took me a long time. And in fact, sometimes I still some of the issues I have with doing TV and film is that I still speak with a stage voice, which is why I was perfect for secretary number eight. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I I said when we did your episode that that is a that is a theater voice that's coming out of out of that particular performance. Um, now that we've segued very naturally to Murphy Brown, do you remember anything about your experience, either auditioning or the production or being on set? And it was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> it was a couple years. 30 years ago. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember it, uh, not because I looked it up, but because I did it right before I, I was going to get married. Oh. And my husband... Uh, now 30 years. So it's been 30 years since I did that show. Uh, number one, I loved the part. It's so good. I, it's, it's so good. She's so well-meaning. Yes. (laughs) And so loud. So I loved it. And, uh, but I, I, what I remember is that my husband, who was a, uh, a colonel in the air force came down for the screening. He, He was, at air base about 45 minutes drive he came down for the screening and it was the first time he saw me do anything and so it was very exciting and he came in his uniform and i'm telling you he got more play in that after the 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 after we wrapped and we all mingled and said hello to my agent and you know this is candace bergen people were and he's six four people were just Uh, at him because he was so fabulous, all his medals and everything. And I'm just thinking, I know, I know, he's mine, he's mine, he's mine. (laughs) So, I mean, that's not exactly what you wanted to hear about my Murphy Bound experience. That's That's exactly what we wanted to hear about. Hey, I love a good man in uniform. Fleet Week here is fantastic. Oh, my my grandma has a story about World War II when uh, my my grandpa and she had known each other prior to him going off. And he apparently came back on leave and she had no intention to see him because she had a job now. 
and she wasn't going to see him. And she tell told this story for years about how he showed up where she worked and she turned oh. around and he was in his uniform. And you would hear my 80 plus year old grandmother just drop into that young woman and just that blonde man in uniform. Yes. There's something about it. It's pretty potent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the remarkable thing is, 30 years later, he can still wear his uniform. That's very impressive. Congrats to him. Yeah. He's a tall, thin man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, um, what I remember really about the show is Barnett Kelman, uh, a fabulous director. Um, I'd only been in L.A. five years at that time, but I'd had a lot of work even mm-hmm. in that five years. And, um, you know, he, he stood out as he just he knew the format so well. He was flawless in his directing he was you know um in such ease and um it's like everybody was on the same uh playing field there wasn't any separation between guest stars and and stars or uh, series regulars Uh, there was just a mutual respect they all knew they had a great product uh i don't i mean it, it it hadn't gotten garnered you know all the accolades that it of course did over the 10 years but Everybody knew this was a very smart, very savvy show, and I was very proud to be on it. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing for us going back right now through the, the show because we're on season one, and it's just for a first season of a show that was considered such a risk, it's so strong. Yeah, yeah. It, it's unbelievable. It's very exciting that they're going to reboot it, mm-hmm. you know. It's, yeah. It, there's so much to talk about, <laughs> You know. Was it Norm we were talking to about when he said, can you imagine Murphy with Twitter? Yes. Um, we had one of the writer, original writers on, and we were talking about sort of the... And this is before we even knew that the reboot was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, revival. The I revival. To, I need to correct myself. Yes, the revival. Uh, I still interchange those words, even though yeah. I know. So we all do it. But um, but yeah, no, all the modern conveniences... Uh, like uh, Dan Quayle thought he had it bad. Can you imagine Murphy right now with Twitter? Well, I <laughs> oh, so good. I can't imagine how many times she was suspended for saying something on mm-hmm. Twitter. Oh my gosh! Yes, <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm that's uh, one of the things that I am excited about is that it's it's not just a, a regular uh, revival of bringing back these amazing actors and this great writing. Is we were we were saying that we don't have to go far to find a current parallel with really any of these stories. We were talking about, you know, women in the workplace and being raising each other up rather than being against each other and going for the same single role allowed for a woman. Or they did the the, the man with the gun in the onset. And then we did yeah. the um, the man who passed away. And we were talking about Antonin Scalia. Like, we were talking about all these different things. We don't have to go very far, which is why we're not surprised a revival has shown up. Yeah. But we had no idea when we, of course, started <laughs> no, this no podcast. Idea. We're just, it was Christmas for us. Very much so. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to ask you about, as we said, the longevity of your career. Um, we'd love to hear about some of your favorite roles over the years. I know my personal favorite of yours is probably on third rock from the sun, which was a very important show for me. I can talk about that. That's a, that was a nice um, thing that happened. I was only hired of course to do the one episode. Uh, but um, John Lithgow told the producers, I want her back. I need her back. She's got to be back. And because of that, I ended up, recurring and you know that leaving the cafeteria going to the office you know oh i just loved it um and the thing i remember most about that 
experience besides being wanted, you know. Um, and, and Terry Hughes, who was the director on that, and he directed all, all of them, uh, was that they had uh, on the lot, it was CBS Radford, they had a separate building uh, that normally has, it, it, it still does, contains office buildings. But on the first floor, they had a full kitchen. And every day at lunch, the entire cast went over and a dinner, a lunch had been prepared for them and they all sat down and ate. Now, that's unusual in my experience. But what's far more unusual is that they asked the guest cast to come. It just doesn't happen. Because uh, I think mainly because uh, you get a lot of variety in the type of people that are guest starring, you know, a lot of different personalities. And uh, most series regulars don't need to make any new best friends, you know, and uh, and they've been working and they need their lunch break and perhaps a privacy and cocoon and a, a time to, you know, relax and and so I found it remarkable that they said, oh, no, 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 come no, don't, no, don't spend your money. Oh, no, no. And so for the, all my time there, they always included me. Uh, and also, it, along the same vein, uh, at Christmas, they all gave me gifts. Oh. They all exchanged gifts, and they gave me a gift. Oh. Now, I got to tell you, I, I, I think. God, I always, if I'm working around Christmas time, I always bake loaves of pumpkin bread and give them to people. But I've been doing that forever. Uh, This past Christmas, even though I actually had been sick, I made 60 loaves. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I got about four left. I'll get rid of them before spring, you know. Uh, But but that just stunned me, you know, to get get, get a gift from, oh, well, thank you. Wrote lovely thank you notes. <laughs> yes, you do. So, <laughs> yeah, I think there's something about those ensemble shows. It really, I think that's something that shows up in the work as well. It, you see that with the Murphy Brown cast. You see that with the Third Rock yeah. cast. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it was a very tight ensemble group. They really liked each other. They laughed a lot. They thought each other was very funny. So we did a lot of laughing on set. Uh, and uh, one of the episodes was during March Madness. Oh, my gosh. I really, I do know basketball. I know the game because I used to play it when I was younger. But I don't follow any of this stuff. Murphy, I mean, uh, uh, Third Rock, as a whole, the, all the crew, they all fell out. Uh, what do you call those? Uh, the brackets? The brackets. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, you've got to put, you know, it's only whatever, $10. I said, well, I'll give you the $10, but I don't care. who. No, no, you got to do it. So, all right, give me the list. I just feel, I mean, there's a lot. I of- do March Madness with my theater company every year. And I now know more about it because we just love yeah, battling I'm, each other. We're in a baseball family, so <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, that was the <laughs> Do you have any particular favorite roles of your own, though? My absolute favorite was to do Life with Bonnie. It was uh, two seasons. Uh, the the part was written for me. Uh, so there was almost no effort in learning because it was so organic to me. That was a great, lovely thing. Uh, I loved all the people. We worked well together. Um, we I was being paid regularly. I knew what I would make for X amount of weeks. And, and I was being paid very well. 
very well. Uh, I knew that uh, I was going to work three weeks and have a week off. So suddenly I had a schedule. Uh, that was fantastic. I also didn't have to audition for anything else. Uh, I wasn't constantly you know, getting material, trying to learn it, you know, blah, blah, go again, not get it, get it, okay, do it. Uh, so I loved not having to audition. Uh, I still worked. Uh, uh, people would just hire me for the week off. I still did other jobs. Um, I, um, I, I love uh, people. I'm outgoing. So all the publicity stuff I thoroughly enjoyed. Oh, this parade, or we're going to do the Paley Fest, or we're going to be on a panel here. Loved all of it. So it was, and of course, financial security. I never had to think about that for, uh, we did two seasons, so 44 episodes. Uh, also, because I had done two years of it, um, I was then able afterwards to accept, a, to go after, get, and accept a job at the taper uh, theater, which is the number one, uh, you know, um, uh, Lort A company in Los Angeles, and do a wonderful part uh, because I didn't need to make money. I didn't need to have residuals for a year. And so I loved that. Uh, and I knew that, uh, you see, everything I'm telling you is about left brain stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew that the, uh, <laughs> I knew that making this money was going to secure our retirement. I'd always been good at, at saving, but this took it right over, you know, and that, that has been the case. I have often said that I can only be creative if I can spreadsheet the schedule around it. There you go. <laughs> it's very important to know because, and we say this, you know, you can't take care of others if you can't take care of yourself. You can't branch out into creative avenues if you can't clean your apartment if you can't have an apartment, if you can't think past the month. Yes, it's yes. In, Those things are very important and go hand in hand. Yes. So uh, so for many reasons, you know, but I, I must say artistically, oh, I thought Bonnie's writing, Bonnie and Don Lake, I thought it was hilarious. They're wonderful, yeah. We laughed so hard on that set, you know. You can tell. And the, when we, we got to the end of the second year, she came and said, um, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you, but they've already told me, but it's not official, but they have told me that no matter what, the only show they know they are keeping is ours. And we went, oh, my God. Oh. And so then I thought, well, now I can look for an extra, another piece of property. You know, we started looking down at Manhattan Beach and everything. And then like two months later, she called and said that we'd been canceled. I, I felt devastated for her. I'd sort of been around it long enough to say, well, you know, it happens. But for her, this was major, major disappointment. And my understanding and what I've sort of surmised uh, at that time and then I've seen it play out more is that the person who was telling her originally that we would be into a third year because we had met all our numbers. We'd exceeded the numbers they wanted as far as viewership and she stayed under budget. And that's business. And so they said that, you know, you're our girl. And but in just those few months, the person who was in charge of ABC comedy was replaced. They yeah, brought in sometimes. Mm-hmm. Aunt Sweeney. Yeah. And I, I don't think Aunt Sweeney had anything against life with Bonnie. But you see it over and over when people are put into a position, they clean house 
and set yep, their they agenda. make it their own. And so yeah, I uh-huh. think that's what happened. You know, uh, it was a great, great time for me. Yeah, I loved the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I grew up a uh, uh, really idolizing Bonnie. Ah! Um, I gravitated towards write- writers and actors, yeah. even not realizing that I wanted to be a writer. I think I subconsciously knew that I wanted to do both. Yeah. So that's when I first started to know your name. I always knew your face, but it wasn't right. until I think Return to Me. And we talked about it briefly on the show, obviously, mm-hmm. from things that I've read. But I'd love to hear from your point of view, uh, your working relationship with Bonnie and how that started. Well, she uh, was brought out for a series called Grand. Which I loved. Mm-hmm. That's yes. where I first discovered Bonnie was in Grand. Yes, as did I. Uh, and <laughs> I played her secretary. I recurred. And uh, she had never done television or anything. She was uh, discovered at Second City and uh, brought out for that part. And, uh, oh, we just, you know, we're both very Catholic girls. She's from Chicago. I'm from St. Louis. I'm like an older sister to her. I'm probably about 15 years older. Um, There was an immediate shorthand. We both came from large families. Um, We just knew each other from our own upbringings. And um, so after the show, no, it wasn't canceled. It was, I mean, it was, of course, eventually. But when she said this to me, she said, I don't know what's going to happen to me or where I'm going, but wherever I'm going, you're going with me. And I thought, is she not the cutest kid on the block? Oh, my gosh. I was flat as I was. So sweet. Thank you, dear. I mean, (laughs) Now, the remarkable thing is that she did it. Nobody does it. They may have the intention, but the power structure in in L.A., which we all know now is changing, but uh, the power structure is such that uh, you, you abdicate so much because you want your product to be bought, you want it to be seen, you know, you want it to you know, be on this budget, whatever you're abdicating to, you're just doing it because you want to get to the end result. Bonnie didn't. She never, she didn't abdicate. And there are a lot of uh, stories about her not abdicating things. And one of my favorite ones is uh, about life with Bonnie. It was the pilot. And uh, there's an opening scene where she's in the bedroom. They're getting dressed to get out, uh, get out of the house. There's chaos. And they finally make it out the door of the room. And as you see the door frame, there's a cross near the door frame. And uh, she got notes in the for editing that they'd have to, you know, cut that so that that, that didn't show. Because they don't want to offend people. There might be other faiths out there and et cetera, et cetera. And... This is not a direct quote because it's been a long time, but she basically said something like, when you bought me, you bought that cross. Wow. Good for her. She said, now I'll be happy to put a menorah up at some point, you know, but that stays. That's who this show is. So I admire that no end. I mean, that's extraordinary. People don't, they just don't do it. Then um, after we did Grand, it'd been several years and she called and uh, said, you know, would you do a table read? I've got a movie. I said, oh, yeah, I'd love to, you know. So I just went to the table read. And at the end of it, she said uh, something like, well, you know, we want you for Sophie. I said, well, it's fantastic. She said, now, how much money do you need? <laughs> I said, well, Bonnie, I, I mean, 
I think you better talk to my agent. (laughs) (laughs) They've got to earn their 10%, and this is how they do it. Since I didn't have to go on the audition, they at least have to do the contract, Mm -hmm. you know. But anyway. um, (laughs) Oh, that's fantastic. It's incredible. So I did that, and it was uh, six weeks of shooting in Chicago and per diem, and (laughs) it was just fabulous, you know. We were just talking how much we love that movie. Yeah, great movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a gem. We both love that movie so much. And you you don't talk about it often. It doesn't come up often in current conversation, but it really needs to. Yeah, it stands the test of time. Whenever it's on TV, you'll see on Twitter everyone starts talking it about just, it. Oh, I love this like, movie. Oh, yeah, they that one. About this commercial, and, yeah. I, this uh, eighth commercial I shot from McDonald's. One of the other actors, uh, a big six foot seven guy. Um, he came up to me and said, oh, my gosh, you know, I just have to tell you, I just loved you and returned to me. It, it isn't talked about, but I cannot tell you how much it, I get checks, nice big checks because of the rentals or the downloading of the, uh, what do they call it, streaming. Um, so it is, uh, it has indeed stood the test of time. And she refers to it as the largest home movie ever made. <laughs> well, I think half her family's in it, right? Yeah, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of them. Yeah, that's a family affair, right? In that movie. In fact, again, I recall now a message. Uh, I mean, a, a story she told me that the union had complained to her uh, that she had too many, you know, non-union. She said, "Well, that's the way it's going to be." <laughs> so that's I don't know. Funny. Perhaps she hired some other. You know, uh, yeah. I, you know, I don't know fully that story, but I know that they did approach her. There was too many non-union shows. My family. So <laughs> uh, I did want to say another part that I, I love doing, although it was very difficult, was I recurred on a soap opera for eight years. And it was called Passions. Oh, yeah, Passions. She's a big fan. Big you fan. watched Passions. <laughs> I was the perfect age uh, in, in small town Minnesota. Watching Passions on my on my days homesick from school and all that stuff, or finding it later, and I was just I love I love heightened genre fiction, and that just it just tickled my soul. It was ridiculous, and I loved it. Oh yes, still mm-hmm. they're a huge following. They're still, and you can you can get the episodes online for free. You just sign up, and you know. So I hear from people. You know, I'm on my third season, and you're so this, and what happened on that day? Did you mean that when you did this? And, okay. So, anyway, uh, the reason I liked it, number one, <laughs> uh, I loved that I didn't have to wear makeup. So, my yeah. call time was so great. I had, like, 15 minutes. Well, that's what we love about this podcast. Yes. <laughs> love love being on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, I loved I didn't have to wear makeup. I always had the same uniform, you know, essentially the same khaki pants and work shirt, you know. Uh, I will say when I, it was originally a uh, a nine day job, nine, uh, they were doing the, uh, oh my God, the uh, Janet Lee, Psycho, Psycho. Norman Bates, mm-hmm. Psycho. Okay, they were doing a takeoff on that. And uh, I had just done a Will and Grace that's uh, a very popular episode of Will and Grace. Um, it stars Neil Patrick King and uh, and anyway I'd done it and played a uh, who had married a very effeminate man and they had gone through this uh, uh, re-identifying who they truly were and are now straight we represent the straight couples anyway 
So the breakdown apparently for this part on on uh, passions came out the next day from that airing, and the casting director Jackie Brisky had just seen that episode, so she called the uh, John Riley the. Um, uh, executive producer writer in New York has said, I, I just saw this, you know, Marianne Muller Liley, uh, you know, she's on an NBC show and it, it's, it's the same network. And he said, Oh, just send me the clip. And he did. And so I was hired off that. Wow. So, yeah, I always tell young people, you never know what your job's leading to. It's a great example. Absolutely. Uh, so I got it. And then while I was memorizing it, I thought, you know, I better ask my agent, how are they going to work the, the part where daddy in the skull that I carried around? How is, are they going to have an, a voiceover person just off stage saying those lines or whatever? And so I asked. And when he called me back, he said, no, you're voicing both of the characters. <laughs> I was so shocked. I said, well, thank God I decided to ask because I wasn't really memorizing his part. It was just sort of, so I, anyway, uh, and it went obviously so well. I was on it for eight years. It is just a bunch of nut bars, and I love it. Now, the the thing that I loved about it was um, very challenging. When I worked, it was between 30 and 50 wow. pages wow. to memorize a night. So I memorized three days at a time. You know, concentrate very hard on day one, look at day two, at least be familiar with day three. And then it just stayed in a constant rotation, you know. Um, and so that by the time I got to three, it was day one. I was going to shoot the next day. It was all in my head. Now, the thing that's so challenging, it's not the pages that are so challenging and soap opera. It's the banality of it. You're in the same scene forever. And so they just tweak a little bit. So you got to kind of figure out ways to help you remember the why is it slightly varied okay another thing is they shoot out of sequence so uh the if you're in an emotional scene uh and they're shooting out of sequence you have no building to your uh, your your peak level or your mid level so i devised a way i uh when i went through the script i based my emotional life on a number and the number was between one and 10. So that by the time I picked up, a, you know, we're going to do scene F now. If it said seven, okay, I would just pay it to seven. Mm-hmm. That is left brain charting. It worked. Mm-hmm. It's a map. It worked. <laughs> so, so I also liked, uh, I had gotten over, I know I'm talking a lot, but I guess. No, we love it. No, it's fascinating. We love it. Yes. That's okay. I also like the fact that I had to do many things that I initially thought was scary and I didn't know how they were going to have me do it. And I soon realized that they're never going to jeopardize the actor and there's always stunt people. And so I came to know my stunt double very well. She did a lot of stuff, you know, they, but, and, and, and also, you know, the, the character was, uh, was always uh, searching for Timmy and uh, Timmy. I'm going to try to kill. And so they put me in like the sewers of New York and they built canal. They built a canal and they heated the water. So I wasn't cold 
and I was swimming in it for about three days, and then they put coffee grounds in it to make it look dirty and awful, and then they had, uh, you know, um, they put fake rats and live rats. What? They had had a, a rat wrangler, you know, so... It was those things that, that I knew that were coming that I was like, oh, my God, what's going to what? Well, no, it's going to be fine. I don't have to think about that. It's not my job. OK, fine. And so, you know, the one time I remember I was uh, there was an earthquake and I fell into a pit and there were um, uh, huge roaches huh. in the bottom like that. You can't see like three inches, like palmetto things. And so there were some fake ones, but then there were live ones. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. That's too much. No. Come on. Oh, there were so many things. There were <laughs> so many things. That show was so outrageous. There'll never be anything like it. Never. I really think that it's it's time for a renaissance. I really think yeah. you can go binge that as just a an escapist. It's unbelievable. Special world. It's mm-hmm. yeah. you're not going in that into that show for gripping realism. This is not three billboards. No. You are going in because you want to escape and just no. watch these nut bars live their lives. And that, it is delightful. That's the tagline. That's your welcome passions. If only you had had me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I watched Young and the Restless, so which... Oh, sorry. I, I watched Young and the Restless as a child, which you have also been on, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> I started with Days of Our Lives. Yeah, no, exactly. Like I, uh, I, I don't know about passions for you, but I feel like soap operas. You, you sort of, you took it on from your mother, and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of why they've sort of not necessarily died out. They're still out there, but not as popular because it's different. Yeah. It's just a different, yeah. Well, my my sisters were are are significantly older than me. I was born when they were teenagers, um, so I, my mother, who was you know beginning of the baby boomers, didn't really watched the soap operas as much, but my sisters did because they were teenagers in, you know, in the early eighties and so on. So they, I picked up there. So I remember my middle sister, Julie, sitting me down when I was young watching days of our lives. And so I had really strong opinions about Stefano and Marlena and all these things. And then, but Passions was like the new one that was, came out right at the time for me to have. So how old were you when you watched Passions? I was, yeah, I was probably, I think I was, Junior high, okay. Because I I, mm-hmm. I watched Ryan's yeah. Hope when I was in kindergarten. Oh, I was that was my sort of entry into soaps. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I have done now uh, Young and the Restless and Days of Our Lives. I've actually done about six of them. But no, nothing there's nothing quite like passions. Like passions. It's a it's a game changer. Is there anything you can think of that we haven't asked? I mean, I want to ask more about everything. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> You've done too much. You've said you've, <laughs> the thing I appreciate about your your resume, as it were, on IMDb is is the variety. Yeah. Um, and I think something I appreciate about the the three goals that you had um, as far as your career is we Lauren and I are both women who were told about our type being older than ourselves mm-hmm. and looking for longevity, looking waiting yeah. for that moment to hit like an Alice and Janney, like these these women. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's why we are so attracted to actresses like yourself and and creators like Diane and Bonnie and the the women who look at longevity and not just flash in the pan and not just mm-hmm. um, being it's what's the quote from First Wives Club? You're you're the babe, you're district attorney, and you're driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. And not letting the the industry put you into those three roles, but finding 
the the variety that's available to you. And yeah. I, I find that fascinating within yours because there's so many different types of women we could talk about with you yeah. that you've portrayed. And with you said in grad school that you were told you wouldn't work until you're in your 40s. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in grad school, not to me personally, but blankedly to most of my class, we were told you won't work till you're in your mid 30s. So to hear that when you're, you know, 22, yeah. 25, it was like, oh, wait, what? I just spent $60,000 on this grad degree. <laughs> um, but it is yeah. very true yeah. for at least, you know, for mm-hmm. like ourselves. Well, and of course, I, I did the uh, 10 years of stage mm-hmm. before I came. And uh, uh, because you can play any age on stage. Yes, you yeah. can. And I have. And uh and I also did it for 10 years because I wanted to be vested in that union before I left it. Yes. Again, left brain. So that's when I moved to New York. And, and so coming at 33, um, I, I, and coming after 10 years of stage, I had all the confidence in the world. I, I didn't, I, it never occurred to me I wouldn't get work. And I did. If you have time, I'll tell you the first audition I did. Oh, please yes, do. Do that. Uh, so uh, back then in 81, they had what they called go-tos oh, yes. or generals. But don't, all right, so they don't do those anymore, which is a shame. So they were, you know, so I'd done some, a few of these general auditions. And then I got a call for a real audition or general interviews. That's what they were. They were just getting to know you. And um, so I then got a call for an audition and, uh, it was for Magnum PI, and it was Universal Studio. So I thought, well, I had made myself a, an audition blouse. And so I'd be wearing my audition blouse and, and a denim skirt. And, and I was told I was going to play a Russian shot putter. And I thought, oh, I, I don't speak. I don't know Russian. So I called the only other actor I knew in L.A. And I said, Joel, can you do a Russian accent? He said, no. I said, well, what am I going to do? I can't get the material. They said I should just go early and read it. I said, I don't understand it. They're not going to give me a script. I won't understand the tone or, you know, where my uh, character moves the story forward. And I won't understand the conflict. He said, oh, Marianne, no, you're never going to get a full script. You're going to get what we call sides. And that's just a few sides, that the few pieces of the script that they're going to want you to read. And then that's going to be enough. See, it's not as the material is lightweight and you won't need to delve into the tone of the sitcom. I said, OK, but what do I do about the Russian accent? He said, go like 30 minutes before, get the script, call me and then. I will give you my best version of Russian and then you write it down phonetically above the words and then just memorize that and then go in. Okay, so I did that. So I got into the office. Number one, I'd never been to a studio. I was blown away by Universal. It was fantastic. It was so beautiful. And then I got into the, the what I, well, it, it was the uh, producer, Dom Belisario. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a big name. Mm-hmm. A lot of shows, and but it didn't mean anything to me. What what was so impressive is it was a big fancy room. It was a huge desk. He had a full wall of books behind him in a gorgeous mahogany bookcase. I mean, this was high end. I was very impressed with that. And then the the the, the uh, uh, casting director, 
sat over in a little corner and he happened to be in a wingback chair. So he, although it was a person of some stature, he looked tiny. He looked just like a little mouse over there. I thought, okay, okay. Now he's the person who's going to read with me. And so I did it, my version. And Don Belisario said, well, that was everything from Inger Stevens to Desi Arnaz. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes, but I was consistent. (laughs) He just smiled at me. I remembered my sister telling me who'd gotten uh, her degree in theater. She said, when you make a decision about your character, since you can't know what they want, just make a decision and stay consistent with it. So there it was, flying out of my mouth, what my sister had taught me. So I left. Okay, that was on a Wednesday. And I thought, well, I got nothing going on. I'm going down to my brother's house in Anaheim, pick up the keys to his house in Mexico. I'm going to go down for five days. Now, when I got there, I thought, oh, wait, I'm supposed to remember to call my machine. Because in New York, you had a service. They didn't have machines, you know, voice machines. And so I thought, okay, I'm supposed to call my machine every two hours. I don't think I need to, but I'll call because once I hit the border, I can't call. So I called and there was a call back. They said, they want you to come back on Friday. They're sending you to a dialogue, dialect coach on Thursday. Wow. So the next, I came right back. The next day I went to a man by the name of Alan Rich. He was not a dialect coach, but he was in the episode and he was going to play a Russian. Mm. And he's an extremely well uh, regarded character actor, still working. He's in his 90s. Um, I walked in. It was up in the Hollywood Hills. I'd never been there. I walked in and the whole house was white. I thought, oh my gosh, this is, this is a Hollywood, you know, la Dida house. As I came into the entrance hall, there was a wraparound um, stair, no, a balcony around the entrance hall and part of the dining room, wrought iron. And Alan said, would you like to meet? Oh, I want to introduce you to my wife, Elaine. So Elaine came down and behind Elaine was this magnificent looking girl, drop dead, gorgeous girl, black hair pulled back straight down to her, her back, beautiful, huge blue eyes, full voluptuous lips. She and Elaine said, Elaine Rich, she's, uh, hi, I'm a manager. This is my client, Fran Drescher. Oh, of course. Cool. She said, hi, how are <laughs> yeah. you? And I said, oh, well, thank you. Hello. Nice to meet you. And in my mind, I thought, oh, my God, it's it's a starlet. She's a bimbo. She's, I mean, who can be that magnificent looking and have that voice? I yeah. just, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't put it together. Uh, but she was perfectly lovely. We had a few words. They left. I then walked into the the living room, which was a sunken living room. I said, oh, my gosh, it's a sunken white living room. <laughs> I, I am truly in Hollywood. I've met a Hollywood starlet. I've met a manager. And now this man's going to teach me Russian. I came with my little cassette. I put it down. I said, here's the script. All you have to do is say my lines in Russia, with a Russian accent, I'll record it. That's it. He said, no, we can work. He said, no, I don't need any interpretation. Just record it. He did that. I was gone in 10 minutes. 
Went home, learned the accent, went back into the exact same interpretation the next day. I barely slept, though, Hmm. because while I was in my brother's house, my niece said, well, you got a call back from Magnum P.I. I I said, yeah, it's exciting. She said, but it shoots in Hawaii. I said, well, they're not going to send me to Hawaii. She said, oh, no, it all shoots in Hawaii. I said, my part isn't that big. They're not going to. She said, it shoots in Hawaii. So I, I thought, okay, because, you know, if you've only done stage, you only have Monday night off. Yeah. You do your laundry. You don't watch TV. You maybe go roller skating. You maybe go out to you know movie or something. I knew no television. Oh, of course, I went in Friday. I did it. I was booked. Monday, they sent a limousine to pick me up. I flew to Hawaii for nine days. I was paid $1,900, the most I have ever, at that point, ever made on any job. Of course, they give you money every day for food, except they feed you on the set every day. I only had two and a half days work, so they gave me a chauffeur-driven car to drive me around to Oahu and Waikiki and the cultural center and all that I did that. They had my name on the back of my chair. I nearly had a coronary. (laughs) I I, I took a photograph of it. They put a parrot on my shoulder during a a break. Just there was a parrot in the area having fun. I took a photograph. (laughs) It was the most extraordinary. I went, they, they dropped me. Oh, they put me in first class. I'd never flown first, first class. There was a girl next to me. She was in the show with me. She was in chatting. She said, well, I'm the guest star. I said, oh, well, I'm the co-star. And in my mind, co meant equal. I, of course, mm-hmm. co-star a small part, mm-hmm. guest star a bigger part. I in, I thought, well, I'm in first class. I'm sitting next to this girl who's also in the show, but I'm apparently equal. You know, We got to the hotel, the Colony Surf. I go in. They show me to my room. I walk in. There's a huge kitchen. It has all the utensils, coffee pot, uh, everything, everything, china, everything. I walk into the other room, huge spray of flowers. No, yeah, the flowers with food stuff on a table. Then there's a king-size bed over there. Then you go two more feet, and it's supposed to be the living room. Huge spray of uh, uh, Hawaiian flowers. I mean, they're all four or five feet apart. Another big king-size bed. Go into the bathroom. I could have slept in the bathroom. I thought, there's been a mistake. I went down to the front desk. I said, there's been a mistake. I don't think I'm supposed to be in this room. There's all these, you know, gifts and stuff. He said, oh, no. No, no, you're supposed to be there. Uh, I said, but, but he said, no, the, the, the guest star has the penthouse. Said, <laughs> of course. <laughs> well. I got it. But I determined I was going to see that penthouse before I left. Mm-hmm. I did. Yeah, she did, did not have the better room. Really? Nice. It was smaller. It was higher, but it was smaller. Anyway, so that that's was... That's a great story. That's that's the dream. <laughs> unbelievable. Then when I came back, my next audition was for uh, The Greatest American Hero. Mm. We shot in Acton, which is a small town outside of, of L.A. It's all dusty. Anyway, I booked it, and... Uh, I, I, to me, this was God telling me I'd made the right decision. Here, I was going to get residuals and uh, you know all that. I just then, of course, after getting those two jobs, I settled into not getting jobs. I got a straight job, and I mean, I booked, but not not like those first two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's ugh. so funny. I yeah. my love of uh, 
Murder, She Wrote is the reason I know Magnum P.I. <laughs> because I watched oh. it obsessively. Really? Also because I, I said to Lauren in the past that I got in an argument with a, a female friend of my young age because who over who had more ownership of Murder, She Wrote because her name was Angela and my name was Jessica. And I felt that I had more ownership, but she was the actor's name. Um, but I remember watching the crossover episode. Wait, there was a Magnum P.I. Je- okay, oh, yeah. that I didn't even know. I thought oh, I knew yeah. everything about TV. Apparently yeah. I don't. They crossed over with Magnum P.I. And I was like, who is that they mustache? Did. Of course they did. It's CBS. Of course they did. Yeah. I, I do love a mustache. <laughs> this has been lovely. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been blast. our absolute pleasure getting yeah. to know you a little more. Same here. Thank We've you. admired your work for a very long time, and yeah. it's been lovely. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this today. Great. Thank okay. you. Bye. 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 Bye.